a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, And today we're going to talk in particular, even symbolically, about hope in darkness. It's the name of a new podcast, but it absolutely is a story as well about how there was hope in the darkness of the Venezuelan prisons. And so joining us today is Becky Bruce from KSL News Radio and KSL Podcast. She's actually the producer of this series, and you hear her voice. And joining us, too, is Josh Holt, who is the primary, shall I say, suspect of (laughs) the Hope in Darkness podcast uh, subject, I should say. Josh, thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. So the idea, Hope in Darkness, was to absolutely give us like a never-before-told story of what happened to Josh and his wife, Tammy, in the Venezuelan prison system. So, Becky, talk to me a little bit about the framework of this, because the podcast is out. It's been out for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, we got we just launched our third episode today. So there are three episodes available to listen to. Um, you know, this is kind of the behind the scenes look at what was going on. We as Utah residents got a lot of information about what was happening to Josh and his wife, Tammy, over the course of the 23 months that they spent in prison. But we really only got surface level details. And I didn't realize how much I didn't know until I started talking to Josh and talking to his family. And then I realized that there was a lot of the story that had been untold, um, a lot of details that just weren't delved into. I did not realize, you know, in the hours after his arrest, he wasn't immediately taken to prison. He was driven up the hill and his life was threatened with guns in his face. Which, by the way, I think is that episode two? That is episode one. It bleeds into two two. a little bit. Okay, so Josh, I got a chill down my back as Becky was (laughs) just saying that as we're going to unfold more of this story, but that is what happened to you, shortly married, a couple of weeks is all, living in Venezuela with your new bride. And within minutes, you find yourself at the point of a gun. So do you still have vivid memories of that? Or are you able to sleep at night and you no longer worry about the pounding on the doors? No, I, I still have a good memory of it. Uh, however, it doesn't affect my, my life. It doesn't affect you know, how I've continued on. Uh, and that might just be because of the way I've tried to, you know, control how that's affected my life. But to answer your question, no, I, I sleep fine at night. <laughs> because they get to the point, Becky, in your storytelling where there is that big knock on the door, boom, boom, boom. And that's when Josh and Tammy's life absolutely took this devastating turn. So that was news to you because, again, as a reporter, we're hearing he's stuck in a prison in Venezuela. We're trying to get him out. Yeah. I mean, we knew he had been arrested, but the details of the arrest were not something that were widely reported here, at least um, that I had read. Um, And the details of what prison life was like were not. I mean, we would hear every once in a while from Josh's mom that maybe his health wasn't so great, whatever. A lot of people also didn't realize Tammy spent the entire 23 months in prison right there with Josh. Not in the same cell, but, you know, 
arrested too. And uh, one of the things that I've been really excited about is the ability to be able to bring her part of the story to the front because I think, Josh, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I honestly think Josh's experience in prison would have been vastly different if Tammy hadn't been there as well, if her mother hadn't lived close by. There were uh, things that they were able to get access to as a result. Yeah, that's that's 100% true. And and not only just that, Becky, but uh, from my side of it, having it being justice for Josh, I've talked to you about this, but to allow my story now to be not just my story, but my, my wife's story as well is really big for me because people can finally come to understand, you know, how great my life is, what she had to do and what she had to go through. Because without her, I mean, as we could tell in, in the episodes that we've already listened to, you know, she saved my life. She could have just thrown me under the bus and she didn't. Well, and I'm getting a little teary eyed on this one. And, and I'll just also for disclosure, Becky is the producer and the voice, the narrator of the story. Josh, of course, this is what happened to you and your wife, Tammy, and your larger family that all of this is, is um, affecting and the country of Venezuela and the government of the United States of America. I mean, it becomes a, a larger macro story as well. Yeah. But I had the privilege to, um, during certain parts of the podcast, um, give the translated voice of Tammy. And there is a time in um, her own voice in the early episodes. And for those who haven't had a chance to download Hope in Darkness, we're going to tell you in a bit where you can find it again. We mentioned kslnewsradio.com uh, has uh, an ability and links for you to, to subscribe there. But there is a, a vision I have in my head um, of Tammy once the door knock, knock, knock came and the troops came and arrested you or took you into custody and drove you away, um, I have this visual um, memory just from the storytelling of her running up and down the streets for hours and trying to find you and then literally putting herself in front of the military um, armored vehicles to get them to stop. Yeah, she kind of had this Tiananmen Square moment where she stood in front of the police vehicle and prevented them from driving past her. Because what you have to know about Tammy, and you get to know a little bit about this in the story, is um, she was not just a green card wife. And she was very concerned up front when talking to us about making sure that people understand she wasn't just looking for paperwork to come to the U.S. She genuinely loves Josh. She did then. She does now. Um, But he was also the answer to a prayer of hers. She prayed for God to put a good man in her life. And she believes Josh was the answer to that prayer. And so when you know that about her, suddenly you understand a little bit why she might have been willing to stand in the middle of the road, knowing her own life might be at stake, to prevent people from taking that man away from her. And that's just one of the heroic moments. So, Josh, as you said, it's rightfully the story of an American who blissfully falls in love with somebody in another country, uh, travels there without maybe total awareness of the complexity of the politics uh, in that country, because you had not lived or visited South America prior, is that right? Other than Central America for a little visit to say hi to Tammy? Had you had experience in South America before, Josh? No, not really. I mean, I did I did um, go to Argentina for a couple of weeks okay. uh, back in, in 2011. But other than that, I really had never been down there. And in Argentina, we were fine. It was it was a great time. 
And even up to like in 2010 or so, um, Venezuela was still considered to be one of the leading democracies in South America and a very advanced economy. And it was starting to um, it was in the midst of change and turmoil at that time. But most of us still looked at Venezuela as a somewhat stable country. So, Becky, you, as you were producing this story, the 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 growth of Venezuela, the what happened economically and within p- politically. I mean that that is what absolutely affected Josh and Tammy's life. Yeah, I didn't fully understand that until I started digging into Josh's story a little bit. I, I sought out some experts, and it turns out we have two very well spoken and well renowned ones here in Utah. Uh, one of them's a professor at Utah State. One's at BYU. Um, I went to both of their offices and spent a good hour with each of them. Um, And they helped me understand how Venezuela went from in the 50s and 60s being one of the most stable democracies in South America and one of the wealthiest countries in South America. A lot of that money coming from oil to a place where regular riots over access to food are a thing. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have a, a card identifying you as a member of the government majority party, you can't buy the food that's in the cheap store, the government run store. And there are lines that are like a mile long just to get, you know, rice. I mean, those are the conditions that were kind of in place in 2016. I I don't think that was widely reported. Part of the reason that's not widely reported is between 2010 and 2016. You could argue it's not really a functioning democracy anymore. And there really isn't a free media in Venezuela anymore. It's all state media. Josh, how did you feel about that? You know, and that's an accurate representation. Having lived in South America, and I still travel back and forth between Peru and Bolivia, there's a lot of pride about each individual country's identity and history. And, 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 and so it's hard to have other countries describe, you know, Venezuela the way that we are describing now, that it is not, it's a shadow of what it used to be, a quality of life. So do, were you aware of any of that before you, um, you know, travel to Tammy to marry her and 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 to live in Venezuela those those short periods of weeks that you were going to be there? I was aware that they received a bag of food once a month. I wasn't aware of the conditions there in Venezuela. I wasn't aware of how hard it was to get food, to find food. Um, before I did go, I, I filled a lot of my suitcases just full of of women hygiene products, you know, different types of food, bags of rice, just different things that my wife had asked me to bring down for her and her family. And so that's what I did. You know, I, I brought it down there, not not thinking about, of, you know, just how hard it would be to find stuff. I figured maybe it was just the stuff wasn't that good or the products were really expensive. But that's, that's an accurate description. And it, it's honestly good for me to know now that I can do something to get the word out that, you know, Venezuela really is going through a hard time and they really do need help. And even though that's where I was held captive for two years, it doesn't mean that the people there are all bad people. You know, there are people that are suffering, there are people that need help. And, and if I can do you know, a little bit to help get their story out there and get what they're going through out into the public's eyes, then, you know, this is good. So in, in uh, and, and it's a beautiful statement, Josh, in, in your story, which the podcast Hope in Dark, Darkness um, details, you, and I love how it begins <clears throat> with a love story, how they met in, in two different, you know, worlds away from each other online. And eventually the friendship falls to love. I'm not going to give all of the, those details away, but then he does take that leap 
and travels to Venezuela, and he's blissfully in love with his new bride, and then the arrest comes, and then the complications. And so, Becky, he wasn't just sent to any prison. He was sent to one of the more harsher uh, prisons in the country. Yeah, and I I don't know that it would be fair to say that there are any prisons that are in great conditions in Venezuela right now, but there are a few that are well-known on a, on a worldwide scale, and this is one of those few. It's called El Elicoide, and it was originally built to be this first-of-its-kind drive-through shopping mall. So the road spirals around the outside of what amounts to a three-sided pyramid. It's literally carved into a rock. Um, and it's El Elicoide translates, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, something roughly like the helix. So that's referring to that spiral shape. But you have people kind of shoehorned into spaces that were never meant to hold human prisoners. They were meant to be tiny little cute boutiques where you could buy upscale stuff. They don't always have bathrooms. There's not, you know, good facilities for 20 or 30 people to sit in this tiny little space where there were supposed to be earrings for sale. Mm-hmm. Does that bring back memories for you as well, Josh? You know, it's it's funny when she explains it. Um, it just brings me back to a time when I was talking to um, one of my cellmates. Uh, his name is Bunuelo. And uh, I don't, you guys haven't met him yet in the episodes, but he is. Um, he's coming up. He was, uh, yeah, he's coming up. He's He is a big deal in Venezuela as in how wanted he was. And so I didn't realize, you know, the type of person he was until I started getting to know him. But he actually explained that same thing to me. You know, as he was a little kid, he saw how it was being built. It was supposed to be this, you know, big shopping mall and everyone was excited about it. And then it just stopped. <laughs> and so it, it's, it was crazy to, to listen to his story about where we were at and then kind of look around and think, man, because I worked in the mall for upwards of five years. And to think that this would be a shopping mall. It just it blew my mind. Now, we're going to learn more about Buñuelo um, as the episodes continue, but it, would you say that you were fortunate to become friends with one of the most notorious criminals in Venezuela? You know, I would say that I was fortunate because he did become a, a really good friend. Um, and, I, and I believe that there's good in all people. Um, and unfortunately for, for him, he became the person that he became because of the actions of other people and the things that happened to himself and his family throughout his life. And us as humans, we want to survive. And sometimes, you know, we take things and turn them into, into negative things just so we can survive. And that's, you know, that's what he did. But I got to know who he really was. And, you know, I'd still to this day, um, call him a great friend, but, you know, sadly he has passed away. So, Mm. Um, Josh, what were you originally charged for? And and you spoke basic Spanish at that time, kind of a Spanish 201 level, maybe not advanced Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not advanced Spanish. I mean, it definitely started getting better as the months went on when I was talking with Tammy. But um, I would say when I first went in, I, you know, my Spanish was was still not the best. Um it was very helpful to to be in Venezuela for as long as I was because I was able to pick up a good accent and and learn Spanish really well. It was a different, a very difficult immersion program uh, for you. It but was. but <laughs> at what point did you realize what the the significances the significance of the charges 
that they were lobbying against you? Because at first, all you know is that you're in custody and they're taking you up a hill and guns are pointed mm-hmm. at you. At what point does it, do you start to understand the gravity of what they're accusing you of? Well, and, and see, this is what was interesting to me, because I knew that they had put an AK-47 in my apartment. I knew that they had a grenade in my apartment. Um, I knew that they had put, and this, funny enough, isn't in, in a lot of the reports because they ended up not taking it to the courts, but they had put a big map in the apartment with little pinpoint spots where I guess they were saying that we were planning to go and attack or bomb. I'm not really sure. And so they talked a lot for the first couple of weeks about terrorism, about me being a pilot, me being a military pilot, about me being from the CIA, just a bunch of different things. And when they finally put the charge of arms dealing, it was just really interesting because throughout the process and throughout just what they were saying that I was doing, none of it really made sense. And then to have arms dealing is what they were charging me with. It was just complete left field. I mean, there was even um, a part of the port where they said that I was shooting at the cops at 7 in the morning, and then they chased me back to our apartment, and that's where they found me at 11 o'clock. And so there were just so many different types of things that they had put in a report that it was obvious that they were all lies. Well, from our vantage point of someone who was reading the news at that time and feeling this compassion and empathy, it was the story as portrayed to me was a man who fell in love and married a Venezuelan was then, um, you know, uh, abruptly arrested in the middle, accused of having, uh, you know, military uh, weapons in the house and planning terrorist attacks and, you know, and as a threat to Venezuela. And that is why your face was suddenly on paper around the world and not just in in Utah uh, because it became an international uh, issue. And so, Becky, as you talk about interviewing these professors about the history of Venezuela, the country itself, and its interrelationship with the United States, um, who they view typically as imperialistic, you know, country that comes in and invades and takes things and changes, you know, You've what we found then was that Josh and Tammy happened to represent the, a, a challenging time in the relationship of these countries. Yeah, I don't think they were purposefully arrested. Um, I don't think uh, necessarily anybody said to themselves, "Let's go get." these two people at these two specific apartments. I think it sort of fell into their lap. Maybe they were hearing rumors that there's a gringo at this apartment complex that is mostly full of chavistas, which is government supporters there. But it was a raid on the entire complex. There were a lot of people rounded up that same day that Josh was arrested. Mm -hmm. There were at least that I know of six people who died that day. Um, And I don't want that to get lost in the conversation. We are fortunate enough to be Americans and to be talking about Josh because he is American and feeling safe. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are plenty of people in Venezuela who are in that same situation who are Venezuelan and um, they were arrested and rounded up, too. So what what we came to find through putting the podcast together is that most likely it was kind of a happy accident for the Venezuelan government that they stumbled onto this American guy 
in this Chavista apartment complex. In other words, an apartment complex that was built as part of the programs under Chavez. Right. And, it, it literally and, had his signature on one of the buildings. And then a new leader comes to power and is trying to figure out who's loyal to me and then accusing those living in that complex of being And unloyal. it's roughly mm-hmm. two weeks after John Kerry, who was then Secretary of State, gives a speech to the Organization of American States, which is kind of a Western Hemisphere UN, um, calling on Venezuela to release political prisoners and restore their own constitutional rules. Mm-hmm. Timing. It's just really convenient timing for them. And I, I think it's it's unfortunate that Josh got caught in the middle of it, but I don't think it was intentional. I think it was sort of like, oh, well, here's an opportunity. We can use this. And you have to understand how the U.S. is perceived. We as a country have intervened in South America before. And in Central America. And government. in Central yes. America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it hasn't worked out great for those countries. And so because of that history and that memory, Venezuelan officials were able to use Josh and Tammy to paint a certain picture. And on the heels of the John Kerry speech, I feel like it resonated more than it might have at a different time. How, about, how does that resonate with you, Josh? You know, I think that he, you know... He has really nailed it. Um, I think, personally, though, my personal opinion is that they knew that there was a gringo there, and that's why they were going from apartment to apartment looking just for men. Um, and they, they couldn't go and knock on the door and ask if there was a gringo there, you know, if they knew where the gringo was, because they didn't want the operation to be about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had, they had a handful of different things that they were trying to accomplish, but I do believe that they were trying to find me. Because and when you would have flown from, in, your passport would have already have been flagged when you arrived. And did you fly into Caracas? Yeah, I did. Okay, all right. So at that point, right, you would have walked into a had to go through customs, customs. Mm-hmm. and and that possibility is out there that they knew and they were. Um, they were looking for you. And actually, I don't want to yeah. give this too much away. And maybe it's episode two, but there's an experience you have that makes you think they had come possibly for you before. Right? But oh, I'm saying don't give too Spoiler much. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't say. Uh, what was that like for you to become from a from a humble guy of, of um, Utah family to become the center of an international news story? You know, it's still weird. Um, and uh, it's funny enough, because I was talking to, uh, to Cheryl about this yesterday. Um, but I told her, I said, you know, it's still weird hearing myself on the radio. And when I'm driving, I can hear my commercial come up and hear my voice. It's weird to, to think that two years ago, my wife and I were released and that for two years, we went through this crazy experience because we're just normal people. And we went through something that was difficult. And yet it's something that you know, has impacted people's lives. And it's something to show people that, you know, Venezuela isn't what everyone thinks it is. It isn't just beaches and everyone having fun and, and everyone's fine over there. It's Venezuela's going through a hard time and there are a lot of human rights issues that are going on. And sadly, the people in Venezuela can't do anything to protect themselves. Yeah, and, and we have a voice. Run away. We, we have a voice and hopefully it helps. Yeah. And so hopefully everyone can get that out of the podcast, not just listening to the Josh Holt story, but listening that, hey, you know, they do need help. They do need help. And uh, Becky, go ahead. Um, I think it's important to recognize, too, Josh, that not only did you um, become friends with a lot of your fellow inmates, you still know people in prison. Yeah, I do. 
Uh, and, and that just speaks to the the extent of the human rights issues that are in place in Venezuela generally, but specifically in the criminal justice system. Um, we're talking about people who are being held without a trial or if they get a trial, it's delayed, 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 delayed. And you only have very, very limited access to your attorney when the prison says you can have access to your attorney. If, you know, it's just it's so not what any of us think of as the rights that should be granted to anyone accused of a crime. And a lot of these folks that were rounded up like Josh was may not even be guilty of a crime there. They may have been rounded up just so that the government could say, hey, look at us. We cracked down on crime. Mm. And if I if I may, there's one example that I'd like to give. Um, There's a a young man that's still in helicoide. Um, and his name is, we call him Juancito, his name is Manuel, but he was actually taken when he was 13 and tried as an adult. And he has actually had his freedom now for over a year and a half. I think it's been almost two years now. Um, and they still will not let him go. Mm-hmm. And that's the type of things that the people there in Venezuela have to deal with. In other words, they, the, the court already said he should be set free, but he hasn't been set free. Yeah, yeah he, his, his time that was charged to him has, you know, been fulfilled, and yet he still has to stay there. And that's the hard thing and the mental tortures that you have to go through in El because you may get a court date, you may not. You may get sentenced, you may not. And if you get sentenced, you don't know if you're going to get freed or not. The time that I was there, there were 14 police officers that were tried and sentenced, and they went, served their time, And they served a year more before they were all finally released. Mm. Uh, Josh Hold, and and I love that you said that your experience, you and Tammy's experience, is reflective in some ways of what everyday people are facing in Venezuela. You're out because of international pressure. But even with that international pressure that went all the way up uh, to Congress and White House officials, it still took two years to get you free. And we have to wrap up. But what I want to say is the podcast is extraordinary. It's not just um, an opportunity for us to learn more about what's happening in a country that is so important to the world um, and to learn more about what's happening in their criminal system. It's a story of a husband and wife trying to get through and the strategies they put into place to survive that prison and the sacrifices that people made um, to make that possible at your family. So it's just, it's, it is, it's, it's, aptly called Hope in Darkness. And Josh, it's just been such a pleasure to have you join us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And and just for those people that don't know, um, you can you can find the podcast at uh, wonderyplus.com slash hope or go to KSL Radio or even just download any type of podcasting app. I know a lot of people have had questions of where can I find it? Where can I listen to it? That's- so hopefully you guys can find it through through one of those apps or just going online. And Rebecca, I don't know if you know this. It's actually also on the FM 100 app. So if somebody already has that downloaded because they're listening to Rebecca at work, it's right there for you. Right on the FM 100 app. I appreciate that. We've got a podcast link on FM100.com. You can go to KSLnewsradio.com. You mentioned Wonderly, and Wonderly gives you the chance to listen to all the episodes uh, without commercials. So that is is pretty cool as well, although there's not a lot of commercials. So it's all great listening. So Josh, thank you for joining us. Becky, Bruce, the producer. 
producer of Hope in Darkness. Um, it's an incredible story, and I know you've been working on it for a long time. Just about a year. Not as yeah. long as they were in prison. But, <laughs> no, but, you know, he was released two years ago last week, so Josh and Tammy have now been out of prison longer than they were in. Wow, there you go. So that's something else uh, to, to celebrate. So felicitaciones, Josh. Becky, thank you thank so much. You. The podcast is called Hope in Darkness, and it's a thriller, and it is very good. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum.